<laughs> we know. Uh oh. <laughs> we know that vengeance belongs to the Lord, correct? In so far as the way we, rela- we relate to other people, but in so far as we relate to the enemy of our soul, go for it. Go for it. Tonight, the the title, if you like titles, is uh, Moving from Besieged Defenders to Relentless Attackers. And I'm borrowing this title from something my son Luke wrote about holy anger. It was so good, I I asked the guy who's our webmaster for our family room church to put it up on our website. Moving from Besieged Defenders to Relentless Attackers. Most discussions about spiritual warfare and the devil emphasize our need to be on guard, which of course is a defensive posture. Think of 2 Corinthians 11.3, where Paul said, I'm afraid that lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, you too should be led astray from a pure and simple devotion to Christ. Or 1 Peter 5.8, where Peter tells the recipients of his letter that they need to be on the alert, they need to be vigilant, because their adversary, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. This is good, but it's incomplete. What picture do the following texts create for you? A defensive posture or an offensive posture? Think of Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus told his followers that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. I want you to think about the purpose of gates in an ancient or even a not-so-ancient walled city. Are gates ever used as weaponry? That's not the idea, right? Gates are defensive just as walls are defensive. They're to keep the enemy out and to protect us from the intrusions of our enemies. But here Jesus is giving us the picture of a church as an advancing force that is moving against the powers of darkness and is itself laying siege to the kingdom of darkness. And then the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against this offensive onslaught of the church. Luke 10.19 I've given you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Now if the Vikings trample on Green Bay (laughs) and we have some people who are hoping for that if the Vikings trample on Green Bay, will the score be close? No. No, they didn't they didn't trample on San Francisco, did they? They won. But they didn't trample. No sportscaster would say the Vikes trampled the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, they trounced them. They just wouldn't say that. The score was too close. But we are given authority to trounce, to trample upon, to obliterate the forces of darkness. Proverbs 21:22, A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. He's not waiting to be attacked. He's scaling the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. And then Ephesians 6:17 identifies among all of the various things that we're told to put on. For example, example when we're told to put on the full armor of God because our battle is not against flesh and blood, that is not against people, but against principalities and powers of darkness. 
We're told to put on the helmet of salvation. Offensive or defensive? Defensive. Defensive. Put on the breast piece. (coughs) Defensive. The shield. Defensive. Belt. Yep. Shoes. Defensive. I've seen some people throw shoes, so maybe (laughs) you could make a case. But what about that sword? That's right. That's right. So God, God equips His people with a sword, and we need to learn how to use it. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning with verse 3, we're told that the weapons of our warfare are not of this world, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God, or they're divinely powerful, according to one translation. Well, let me ask this. Why do we need to go on the offensive? I'm going to give you several reasons. And the first is this. It was the heart of Jesus' mission. In 1 John 3, 8, the last part of the verse, it says, For this purpose the Son of God was made manifest to undo the works of the evil one. Another version says to destroy the works of the evil one. When Jesus was healing the sick, he was undoing the works of the evil one. Think about Acts 10.38, where Peter is preaching at the house of Cornelius, and many are gathered. It could have been a large house like this with at least this many people. We don't know exactly how many people were there, but they were gathered to hear the gospel. And one of the things Peter said to the Gentiles who were gathered to hear the gospel was, you know about Jesus of Nazareth, how God the Father anointed him with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing people who were oppressed by, remember what he said? By the devil. In Luke chapter 16, you'll read about a woman who has a spirit of disability, and she's in a synagogue, and Jesus heals her on the Sabbath. And the synagogue ruler rebukes Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus' response is, Should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, in other words, he's referring to her as a daughter of the faith, a woman of faith, should not this woman, this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound these 18 long years, be loosed of her affliction on the Sabbath? Satan came only to steal and kill and destroy. In saying this, I'm not saying that God has never put sickness on anyone or that God will not at times judge people. But typically when God judges, He lets you know ahead of time that that's the plan until and unless you repent. If you read Jeremiah chapter 18 verses 5 through 10, you'll see the prophecies of judgment are almost always contingent. In other words, God maintains the right of changing his mind, as he did with Nineveh under the ministry of Jonah. So when he says judgment is coming, he's actually giving you an opportunity to repent. Think of the words of Jesus to the church of Thyatira in Revelation chapter 2. There was a woman in that church. Her name was Jezebel. She was influencing people in a way that distressed Jesus Christ. In fact, gathering basically what on the basis of what she or he said to that church we can gather that she was someone who was actually uh, advocating the doctrine of greasy grace and she was leading people into immorality based on what i believe to be a false teaching about grace seeing grace as permission instead of grace's power to turn from sin and so jesus said i gave her time to repent but she didn't, and then I cast her on a bed of sickness. But let us understand that is not God's ultimate desire. Let us remember from Lamentations chapter 3, verse 33, it says God does not willingly afflict. God does not willingly afflict. It is the heart of Jesus' mission 
to undo to undo the works of the evil one. And then secondly, he commissioned us to carry on his mission. He said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Do you recall those words? That's his plan for you. Another reason we need to go on the offensive, Satan is still usurping. In 2 Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy and said that there are people that Satan is holding captive to do his will. Satan is all about gaining control of people and holding them in bondage. you know that it is not God's desire to control people? God wants to influence people. God is not interested in possessing people. He wants to fill them to the end that He can influence them, but He does not want to wrest from any of us our will or our ability to exercise it. Does that make sense? But Satan is still usurping, and because he's still on the move, we need to be on the move against him. And then, another reason we need to go on the offensive, the advancement of God's kingdom is not automatic. We've been taught to pray that God's kingdom will come and His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Doesn't that imply that His will is not automatic? God is calling us to partner with Him. Sometimes that means we partner with Him by the way we pray. Sometimes it has something to do with an action that we take. But He's called us to partner with Him to advance His kingdom. And we begin by praying that His kingdom will come and His will will be done. And we begin by praying that His kingdom will come in our lives. That His kingdom will come at Communitas. That His kingdom will come in our neighborhood. And then another reason we need to go on the offensive is because we're called to be imitators of God. And one of the things the Bible tells us about God is that He is a warrior. The Lord, Exodus 15, 3, the Lord, He is a warrior. Let's take a little time to answer the question, what does this look like? What does going on the offensive look like? What does it look like to move from a besieged defender to a relentless attacker? I want to tell you a story about a couple I'll call Pam and Fred. I'm very familiar with them. Pam is a gal who has loved her job for as long as she's had it, which is at least a couple of decades. It's not uncommon for her to come home from work and to say, I love my job. Have I told you this story before? I I don't recall, and it's been a while since I've been here. But she would come home almost every week and say two or three times a week to her husband, I just love my job. And she felt so fortunate to have this job. But her husband, Fred, began to notice something began to change because now he was hearing his wife say, I can't stand my job. And he said, what's, what's going on? This is a dramatic shift. And she said, I'm really feeling micromanaged at work. She told a story about the person who supervises her and her colleagues in their department, and it really sounded nasty. And she said, plus there's a lot of conflict between those of us who are in this department, and there's gossip, and and there's slander, and then there's been some frivolous lawsuits uh, that have been actually initiated against some of the members of our faculty, and the whole environment is topsy-turvy now. And she said, I'm ready to leave. And Pam's husband said to her, you know, if God's calling you to leave, you need to leave. But I'd hate to see you leave just because things are ugly. Why don't we seek God together and find out if he's got a plan for what's going on in your place of work? And during this season of their lives, Pam and Fred had one car, and so they were 
They were driving to work. Uh, Fred was driving Pam to work every morning. On the way there, they would pray for all of the various colleagues that Pam worked with. And they would pray for uh, her supervisor, the person that she felt was micromanaging her. And they were asking God to bless each and every person who worked in her department and asking God to forgive them for the ways that they were hurting Pam and hurting each other. And then they began to do something else. They'd learned a little bit about binding and loosing and keeping with Jesus' words in Matthew 16, 19. Now, most of us are reading from Bibles that tell you that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Um, I don't consider myself a Greek scholar. I took two and a half years of Greek when I was in seminary. That was pretty standard at our seminary. And uh, I, I must say this, in my own studies, I am led to believe that that's a poor translation, that the Amplified Translation gets it right and the Williams Translation gets it right when it says, you have authority to bind on earth what heaven has already bound. And you have authority to loose on earth what heaven has already loosed. And this corresponds with Lamentations 3.37 that says, Who speaks and it comes to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? In other words, we need to be in rhythm with heaven. We need to do some discovery. We need to be praying some preliminary prayers. And we need to be discerning what God in heaven has said no to. You see, to bind means to declare something. It means to declare something to be unlawful. It means to renounce something, to repudiate it, to revoke it, to restrain it, to say no. That doesn't get to happen here. Not on my watch, not in my circle of influence. And to loose means to declare, which is a verbal thing, right? It means to declare something lawful and released. You see in that Luke 16 passage about that woman with a spirit of disability whom Jesus had loosed, he said Satan had bound her, but he had loosed her. Satan had restricted her. Satan had tormented her, but Jesus had loosed her. And so as Pam and Fred drove to work in the morning on the way to work, Fred with his eyes open behind the wheel as he drove the car, was saying, I, run, I renounce micromanaging. I renounce slander. I renounce gossip. I renounce injustice. Now, on what authority do they, can, they, can they renounce these things? On the authority of Scripture. Doesn't God's Word speak to us about what God feels about all of those things? In Isaiah 61, it says, God loves justice. Flip that around. That means He hates what? He hates injustice. He says, I hate robbery and wrong. Right? God bless you. So we know He hates slander. We know He hates gossip. He warns us about these things. So Fred and Pam began to not only pray that God would move upon the people that Pam was working with, that he would have great mercy upon them and help those of them who already knew him to come to know him better and help those of them who didn't know him to come to know him. Because remember this, no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. Is that right? So we need to be asking the Father to draw people to his Son. He won't coerce people, but he'll give them the chance that they wouldn't have if people weren't praying. And so, Fred and Pam continued this week by week. And month by month. And during this time, they were saying, Lord, show us how to pray. Because they didn't want to get into a rut. They didn't want to make a template about their understanding of binding and loosening. 
there is a learning curve. Y'all understand that, right? In all of these things, there's, there's, as I like to say, the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. <laughs> there's a learning curve for all of us. So their attitude was, show us, Lord, are we on track? Is there a different approach you want us to take? Because different seasons require different approaches. Different situations may require adjustments. You may recall that David did not always employ the same strategy every time he went out to battle. In fact, you can see in the scriptures that he just said, Lord, what are we going to do this time? I'll paraphrase, of course. But as Fred and Pam prayed, they sensed that God was saying, you're on course and keep it up. Now, a picture is coming to my mind about what was going on as they began to bind and loose almost on a daily basis, but week by week and month by month. When I was in construction, one of the more fun things I got to do was demolition. And sometimes before you can build, you've got to tear down. In fact, a call of a prophet, according to God's words to Jeremiah, is not just to plant and to build, but to uproot and to destroy. And I remember having a 20-pound sledgehammer as a young man being told to take down a wall and to be careful how I took it down because it could collapse on top of me. But I have never hit a solid concrete wall that's reinforced with rebar, reinforcement bar, with one blow. But blow after blow after sustained blow, you begin to see, hmm, this thing's coming down. (laughs) The Bible says don't grow weary in well-doing. In due season you will reap. I believe that was referred to earlier. In due season you will reap if you have if you do not faint. Right? The Bible says you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God you may receive what has been promised. It says don't be sluggish for it is through faith and patience we inherit the promises. So Fred and Pam, almost daily, not quite every day, but at least several times a week, over a period of months, we're swinging that big sledgehammer. That sweat sledgehammer of binding and that sledgehammer of loosing. And they were saying, Lord, we lose peace into this situation. We lose peace into this department. We lose righteousness. We lose justice. We lose fairness. We lose equity. We bind prejudice. We bind bigotry in the name of Jesus. We, we bind all of these toxic things in Jesus' name. And then they kind of forgot about things. And Fred heard his wife say, I love my job. I love my job. And he said, what happened? She said, I don't know. So are you still feeling micromanaged? No, that relationship is really healed. In fact, I just got the most positive, respectful, uplifting email from my boss. Something's really changed there. How, how are the things between you and the other colleagues? Wow. Amazing, now that I think about it. Incredible. Who'd have thunk? Who'd have thunk? You see, right before Jesus tells us about binding and loosing, he says, I've given you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Keys are symbols of authority. You know, when you get a new job, if you have some responsibility, usually they give you some keys. (laughs) That's because they trust you. Jesus has given you He's given you authority. He's given you the ability to bind and to loose. Let me tell you a little bit about Morris Fognes. How many of you know Morris? Some of you know the story of North Heights. If you don't, I hope you'll get to know this story. I've heard it from Morris a time or two. Uh, Morris was the senior pastor in North Heights for about 38 or 39 years. And uh, in the early days of his ministry, he... He was 
filled with the Holy Spirit and wanting the power of the Holy Spirit to just begin to exert its influence in North Heights without dividing the congregation. But from the looks of things, it could have gone either way. That congregation could have split. The Morris marched around that campus in Roseville and claimed that campus for Jesus and claimed that congregation for Jesus. And he commanded every devout, divisive, and foul and unclean spirit to leave in Jesus' name. And he kept doing it. And he, you know, knowing, knowing Morris, just, I'm not as well as, as, as Paul by any means, but just a little bit. I know Morris is the kind of guy who would say, Lord, is this, is this the way you want me to do this now? Am I on track? And as they say, the rest is history. God began to move at North Heights in a mighty way. And that ministry has had a global impact. I'm, I don't want to give you a template here. But I want you to know that a person under the influence of the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, listening to the Spirit give him or her that a strategy for the challenge they are facing, and then following through on that, is going to see the kingdom of darkness begin to shake and to quake. It's time now that we stop being intimidated by the forces of darkness. Right. What, the de- what the Bible says about the devil is, it is sketchy. But one thing is clear. A day will come when he's going to be unmasked, unmasked and people will look at him and say, this, this is the one who deceived nations? This, this is the one who wreaked all that havoc? Mike Bradley, I won't tell his story. Some of you know his story. Mike and his wife went through one of the worst hardships parents can go through. In some months, having passed through that difficult time, Mike said to the devil, you picked the wrong family. You picked the wrong family. And Mike, like Morris, like Pam and Fred, has gone after the darkness and is bringing down strongholds. Let me just share with you, and we'll close, uh, some things that sabotage your effectiveness. The first one, and I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 8, is that you are not properly under authority. Uh, Matthew chapter 8. We're going to begin reading with verse 5. says, when he entered Capernaum, a centurion, what's a centurion? Commander of a hundred. That's right, a commander of a hundred, a Roman commander of a hundred, came forward to him, appealing to him. He's really interceding here, isn't he, on behalf of his servant? Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Think of this as a picture of intercessory prayer. And what's Jesus' reaction? I'll come and heal him. That's how willing Jesus is. That's the disposition of Jesus. Do you think Jesus is the same today as he was then? Yes. Yep, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Does Jesus show any partiality? No, the Bible says God doesn't show any partiality. So what he did for him, would he do it for you? Okay. 
And then look at verse 8. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west, and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then it says to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done to you as you have believed. And then the servant was healed at that very moment. Now if you go back up to verse 9, I want you to know what I find surprising. The centurion says something that defies logic, at least logic as I see it. It would seem to me that the centurion would have said in verse 9, instead of saying, I'm a man under authority, I'm a man of authority. Because I say to this one, go, and he goes, and this one, come, and he comes, and this one, do this, and he does it. But that's not a misprint. He is a man of authority, but he's a man of authority because he's a man under authority. And he will never be able to legitimately function in divine authority until and unless you are properly related to authority over you. And that means all of us. had a man in a Bible study I was leading who knew a lot of the Bible. He was a little bit older than me. He'd known God a little bit longer than me. The first few years of his uh, salvation experience, he read through the Bible every two weeks. Reading through the Bible once a year was for wimps, according to this guy. Every two weeks. And uh, he has a uh, phenomenal memory, one of the best memories I've ever, I've ever encountered. And he's probably got half of Smith's Bible Dictionary uh, committed to memory. He can tell you information that maybe you're not interested in. He knows, he knows lots about the customs of the Bible. But he really doesn't know a whole lot about grace. He's one of the most thoroughly legalistic men I've ever met, and it's, it's sad. He's, uh, he's a very heavy-handed leader in his home. Uh, he's not a teachable man. He's actually become an arrogant man. And uh, he did something very divisive at one of our Bible studies one week. And uh, I had a private conversation with him. And I said, help me understand where you're coming from. You see, here, here was the point of conflict. I had a female lead the Bible study. And uh, all he could do when he saw that was leave the Bible study. And I followed up on that and said, help me understand why you felt it was necessary to lead a Bible, leave our Bible study. And he began to quote <laughs> the text from 1 Timothy about, I don't allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over men. And I said, okay, um, how long have you known me? He said, about 35 years. I said, in all that time, uh, have you known me to have biblical integrity? Yes. I said, so do you think I would deliberately violate any text of Scripture? Well, I don't know. I said, really? That's interesting. I said, okay, uh, but here's where I want to go. He said, but you didn't allow that woman to teach. I said, that's right. And I said, the question is not, to me, the question is not, what did Paul say? Because I can read what he said. The question is, what did he mean? And I don't think he meant what you think he meant. Because... There are a whole lot of other Bible passages that you're ignoring to your peril. Like, on my sons and my daughters, I will pour out my spirit. 
on all flesh. Your men servants and maid servants. Like Paul's words to the Corinthians, when a woman prays or prophesies, not if. Like from Romans 16 where he talks about Junia, who is mentioned as an apostle, and actually there's extra biblical church document or extra biblical documentation that Junia, there was a female apostle in the first century named Junia. There's a whole lot in the biblical record to make me say, I'm not sure exactly what Paul had in mind. I've heard some interesting interpretations of what he had in mind. But my concept of what the Bible actually teaches about the role of women is that God is gender neutral when it comes to ministry responsibility. And I said, I don't expect you to change your mind. I'm not asking you to change your mind. But I'm asking you to stop being divisive about this in this group. And he said, I I can't. I said, really, you can't or you won't. And he said, I don't submit to any man. I said, then you don't submit to Jesus. Because Jesus calls you to submit to men. And I said, for all the Bible you know, apparently you don't know, Hebrews 13, 17, that says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. Now let's understand, there's there's people we shouldn't submit to. There are people that are toxic. There are people that are heavy-handed. There are people that are abusive. If we're told by our government to stop preaching the gospel, is that something we're going to listen to? No, because the disciples themselves said we must obey God rather than men. The Hebrew midwives at the time of Moses' birth were commanded to discreetly uh, kill, to strangle the male babies that were being born. And uh, they, they wouldn't do it because they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And so anytime we're commanded by someone in authority to do something that's unethical, illegal, unbiblical, or immoral, we, it behooves us not to listen to them. We must disobey. We must always obey God rather than men. But imagine now you're on a worship team. Maybe you're a vocalist on a worship team or an instrumentalist. And let's say Drew is the leader of the worship team. And in, in this church where Drew is the leader of the worship team, uh, Drew prayerfully picks the songs every week. And you're free to come and give him suggestions, but ultimately it's not a democracy. Drew has to decide which songs you're going to pick. And every time you come to Drew with a song, he says, hey, thanks, and he thinks about it, prays about it, and he says, so far he hasn't picked any of your songs. (laughs) Does that give you permission to be divisive? No. You've either got to decide to be a part of the team and submit to Drew's leadership, or get off the team and still don't be divisive. I talked to a young man recently. I asked him, who are you submitted to? He said, Bill Johnson, the teacher. Online, he's got an online relationship, meaning that he listens to his teachings. He doesn't, he doesn't talk to the guy. Bill Johnson wouldn't know him from from the man on the moon. I asked him, "Do you have a local pastor you're submitted to?" He gave me the name of a guy. I said, "I said, okay, you're in relationship with this guy." I said, "Okay, what's his phone number?" I don't know. That would make me suspect. It did. I call. I found the pastor's number. He said, "No, I have no relationship with this guy." This guy's not submitted, he's not yielded, he's not a follower of Christ as far as I'm concerned, he's disobedient and rebellious. If you're going to be in authority, you have to be under authority. 
things that sabotage our effectiveness. Let's remember that according to 1 Samuel 15.23, insubordination is as witchcraft. And submission to authority is always tested when you disagree. That's a line from Larry Christensen, by the way. The Christian couple. It's always tested when you disagree. Easy to submit when you agree. The second thing that will sabotage your effectiveness is presumptuous speaking in Christ's name. Jesus said in John 8, 28, I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only do what the Father tells me to to do. Now, I'm I'm thinking that extended to his ministerial responsibilities, not kind of like, okay, I'm hearing the Father say, pass the potatoes. Does, Does this make sense to you? So, insofar as the ministerial responsibilities go, Jesus did not speak presumptuously in his Father's name. There is a White White House spokesman or a spokeswoman. Do you know which it is right now? Because I don't. haven't been following the news very much lately. Okay, but you get get somebody who's who's speaking on behalf of the president, answering the questions of the media. If this person is speaking in the name of President Obama, he better be representing President Obama's ideas, correct? That's what it means to speak in the name of the Lord. It doesn't mean to attach God's name to any idea that comes into your mind. In fact, I'm convinced that taking the name of the Lord in vain is just doing that. Affixing God's name to any old idea that comes into your mind. Because to speak in vain means to speak without effect. Does it not? Your labor is in vain. Your labor was without effect. Your speaking is in vain. So we need to be very careful that we that we don't speak presumptuously. In other words, that we're in rhythm with the Holy Spirit, that we talk to the Holy Spirit. Is that making sense? Okay, and here's another, a third thing that will sabotage your effectiveness. Chronic and willful disobedience. Really go after disobedience with a vengeance. Don't give yourself permission to sin. Don't make excuses for sin. I've found that I'm destined to repeat every sinful behavior I justify. I heard a guy say once, and I've repeated it many times, he said, you spell rationalized, rational lies. Be brutal with yourself. Be brutal with yourself when it comes to disobedience. Especially, Think about this. Uh, would you say unforgiveness is uh, disobedience? Oh, yeah, I would. I would. And you might ask God to show you what unforgiveness doesn't mean and what it does mean. I, you know, I don't, I don't want to take the time right now to try to unpack that, but that's something you want to explore a little bit more. Just to give you, an, uh, for instance, if I was dis- disfigured by a, a plastic surgeon, forgiving that person doesn't mean I go back to him. Mm-hmm. You can forgive people and not trust them because they haven't, they haven't earned your trust. But forgiveness is a big issue. Don't give yourself permission to maintain resentments no matter what has happened to you. You know why? the biggest reason not to do that? Because you've been forgiven. And it's pretty audacious when you and I say, not going to do it, not going to forgive Wow, that's scary. I'm convinced when we do that, we don't have a clue how badly we've offended God. We've, we've totem-pulled sin. We, we, we think of it in relative terms. It gets really ugly. So things that sabotage your effectiveness, not being under authority, uh, presumptuous speaking in Christ's name, chronic and willful uh, disobedience, uh, pride. Pride is maybe one of the biggest things. Pride goes before a, a fall, and a haughty spirit goes before stumbling. Yeah, and if you want the devil to take you down, just let yourself get cocky. 
I was a very, very young man, 18 years of age, and my well, probably 19 by this time. I, I was, I just had a mountaintop experience on a weekend away from college. I went back in the Chicago area where I grew up, uh, visiting with my brother. We really had some great time with Jesus, and I was feeling like I was just uh, on top of the world. And for some reason, I felt inspired to tell the devil, "You'll never get me." <laughs> and I got back to campus at, at Winona. And I was sitting there in my dorm room the next, probably the Monday or Tuesday after I got back. And I was reading my Bible. It was a nice sunny afternoon in the fall. And something appeared in my room. It was about nine feet tall. Uh, about two and a half feet, maybe a little t- over two feet above Jew- Drew's height. And it looked like it came from a science fiction horror movie. And it looked at me with total contempt. Now, I'm not sleeping. I, I-, I was wide awake. My eyes were wide open. And it was clearly something demonic. And I was new in my faith, but I'd learned all the really great, catchy, charismatic things to say, like, get away in the name of Jesus, right? Uh My mouth got open, but that's as far as anything got. I was terrified. I was so paralyzed with fear. All I could do was open my mouth. And I remember saying, and then he left. He was gone. And I remember saying, Lord, I I don't know what, what was that about. And this is what I heard the Lord say. You open the door. You opened the door when you got cocky. And I just wanted you to see what you're up against. Now the truth is, God doesn't want us to be intimidated by that. But he also wants us to know, when you're proud, you're going down. It's a guarantee. It's a law of scripture. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before stomach. One thing I learned as an athlete was not to judge people the way they look. I was a little... You know, high school wrestler, I got into high school 5'2", I wrestled with 103 pounds, you guys. That was my freshman year. And I was in this uh, tournament, postseason tournament, where I, I wrestled this kid that looked, he looked littler than me, if possible. We were in the same weight class. I thought he was younger than me. Uh, he looked really choir boyish. And all my friends are saying, you're going to rip this guy a new one. And I'm going, yeah, I think I'm going to rip, rip this guy a new one. And now remember, I'm pretty new to the sport. Turns out this guy's one of the best kids in the state. He's older than me. He's far more mature. He eats me alive. He has me for dinner. I'm nothing but a snack to this guy. Okay? I am completely abuses me for only a few minutes before he puts the lights out. Okay? And uh, that would be the day a family member came and watched. <laughs> And I remember the next time my friend said to me, look at that guy, McClure, you're going to rip this guy a new one. I said, don't ever say that to me again. (laughs) Because I was often surprised at guys with huge muscles, massive muscles, who were not a huge challenge, and guys who just didn't look like they'd be much of a challenge. You just can't afford to underestimate. You certainly can't afford to overestimate either. Don't count yourself out, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But do clothe yourself with humility. I know Paul teaches a lot on humility. And there's a reason for that. We need humility. I I think it was A.W. Tozer who said, humility is as rare as an albino robin. I think think he was right. And uh, Jonathan Edwards, nothing places a person so far to the devil's reach as, as humility. So we've got to clothe ourselves with humility. So things that sabotage our effectiveness. You're not under authority the way you need to be. Presumptuous speaking in Christ's name. Chronic and willful disobedience. Pride. Um, and then lastly, the neglect of the disciplines. 
you know, you're not going to grow just by listening to sermons online. I mean, I'm all for listening. Listen to all sermons you want, but not at the expense of spending time in the Word yourself. That's right. You know, there are, sadly, uh, Paul knows this is the case, sadly there are ministers who the only time they read is when they prepare sermons. only time they read Scripture, that is. There's, there's something wrong with that. We need, we need to be in the Word, every one of us, every day. Give us this day our daily bread. How, how many days did the Israelites go out to get up manna? Yep, went out every day except the last day, and they grabbed it for two days. But we need God's Word inside of us. There's the supernatural power of the seed of the Word of God, and you and I need to read it, and by reading it, we're going to ingest it. Even, even if you don't remember what you're reading, even if you can't understand it, get it in there. Something's going to happen. Trust God on that one. Don't neglect prayer. Take time to be with God. And I'm not talking about approaching prayer as a Pharisee. I'm not tra- talking about just crossing T's and dotting I's. I'm talking about saying, God, I need an encounter with you. I, I've got to I've gotta connect with you. And then I also just want to let you know, if most of the time it doesn't feel like you're connecting with God, you're pretty normal. You're at, and then you might say, well, you know, is this doing any good? Yeah, it's doing good. I found this. I found that if I get on that Nordic track uh, five days a week, and I have yet to feel led to get on the Nordic track. Okay, it's it's just this, it's the strangest thing to me that even though I don't like getting on the Nordic track, and I don't feel led to get on the Nordic track, it has the same cardio benefit for me as it does for the insane person who likes to get on it and work out on it. Yeah, my heart, my resting heart rate is incredible right now. You know, I don't even feel like doing it. There's a benefit in taking time and prioritizing your time with God. Didn't he say, seek ye first the kingdom of God? Put him first. You know, I just heard uh, a lady on a radio talk show talk about what a mess her life was a couple of years ago. She said, I was in a loveless marriage. My husband and I have been married a long time. And she said, I don't know what got a hold of me, but I just decided I wasn't going to complain anymore about my life. I was going to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and I was going to spend time in God's Word, and I was going to seek Him in prayer until He changed me. I wasn't going to worry about what He did with my spouse. I wanted Him to get hold of me. This person was desperate. This person was desperate. May God make us desperate. God meets desperate people. And we sometimes wonder, well, how come I, I never seem to meet God? You might ask, are you really desperate? You really want to hang out with people who look like they're bored to hang out with you? You know, if, if you and I were hanging out with each other, and I kept looking at my watch and kept answering my phone, you'd probably say, I'm not doing that again. Clearly, he wasn't interested in listening to anything I had to say. So what, what, what's that like for God, the king of the universe? You can have a private audience with him anytime. So don't neglect those disciplines, and then let's... Let's just wrap it up with this, these two questions. Will you stop letting yourself be bullied? If you're a person who takes a beating, it's, it's time to ask the Holy Spirit to, to either uh, give you a download of the warrior spirit or to tweak your temperament a little bit. You know, Maybe you don't have the temperament of a fighter. That's okay. God made your temperament. That, that's cool. The way you fight will be different than the way I'll fight, but God wants you to be a person who doesn't take beatings from a bully. And I, I'm telling you this, when you stop letting yourself get bullied spiritually, the devil will push back. He will push back. Now I've heard Mike Bradley say, push back the push back. Push back the push back. We get so intimidated. Well, if I, if, if I do something, if I fight back, he, he might fight me, he might do something, maybe somebody in my family would get hurt. 
say what Mike said, you picked the wrong family. If you think I'm backing off from the life I've chosen because you're going to do something, that, that's not going to happen. I'm in this for the duration. Have you, have you said that to God? I'm in this for the duration. Come hell or high water, I'm in this for the duration. I'm, I'm a part of that great and mighty army that's going to be advancing against the, the gates of hell. That's right. And I, I want to rescue the captives that are being held behind those gates. And I want to recapture what belongs to us. Do you? Stop letting yourself be bullied and then... Will you enter the theater of war and engage? Will you take your sword? Will you take your other weapons and say, Lord, you know, I never want to obsess over the devil. I don't want to fixate on the devil. But when you're doing battle, at some point, in some manner, you have to, you have to pay attention to him. And I'm going after it. You know, there's some generational curses that have been on my family for years. Suicide runs in my family. Alcoholism runs in my family. Murder runs in my family. Violence, extreme violence. I wondered why as a little boy I I would fight kids way older than me and bigger. I'd get the snot knocked out of me, but I'd go after them. I just, if I felt disrespected, even as a little guy, I just went crazy. I remember such rage in my head. I remember being six years old and grabbing a fork off the table and I was getting ready to jam it in my head. And to make, I thought that would make that rage stop. And my mother said, Kevin, what are you doing? And, and I said, Mom, I'm going to kill the devil. He's in my head. And uh, she said, don't, don't do that, Kevin. She said, she said, that won't help. That won't help. But I have to tell you, I have been troubled myself about the things that have shown up in me that have made me feel less than what God wants me to feel. Almost, almost every time, including my entire adult life, I come into a room, there is this feeling, when are they going to figure out I don't belong here? When are they going to figure out I'm illegitimate? Now, you know, you might wonder, how can a guy who spends as much time in scripture reading and prayer and fellowship with others still feel that momentum? You see, I know I'm a new creature in Christ and the old has passed away. I know I've been redeemed from the curse of the law, Christ having become a curse for me. And I also know, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, that God ransomed me from the feudal way of life inherited from my forefathers. All that's true. I'm new. But that momentum from those generational curses keeps coming at you. You can say, no, no, no. It's going to be different from my generation. I know this. My son Jude feels some of the same battles or, or experiences some of the same battles I do. He's felt some of the very same things I've felt. And I've said, Jude, I've been doing my best to put a stop to this stuff, you, you're going to have to do this too. You and I will fight. I don't want this going on to your kids. This this is going to stop you guys. We can make a difference. Let's shake this place up. Let's be people. We're not, we don't want to obsess about the devil. We don't want to obsess about the, the injustices of the world. We don't want to curse the darkness. We want to light a candle. One of the ways to do that is to say, though, I'm not putting up with depression. I'm not putting up with mental illness. I'm not saying if you're, you've got a mental illness, you shouldn't be on medication, by the way. Let's not go there. I'm just saying, I, I'm not putting up with these things. I'm not putting up with poverty. I'm not putting up with dementia. I don't think when you get old, you have to get cuckoo. Uh, there's, is there anything in the Bible that says in order to die, you got to get sick? 
There's actually cases where people died whose strength hadn't abated, their eye hadn't grown dim, it was their time. They pulled their feet up into their bed, they grabbed their kids around them, they blessed them, they prophesied over them, and they said, see ya. <laughs> I think that'd be a great way to go. Sure. And God, of course, He wants you to be a good steward of your health, right? So this isn't permission to be crazy about you know being negligent about your health. But it's time you and I pay attention to these things we felt, the momentum. Maybe you stood in the water at the ocean and it's got maybe ankle deep and you feel the, the waves pulling you out. That's the kind of feeling I'm talking about. Something that's an influence that pulls at you. It's time to say, no, I'm not succumbing to that. I'm not yielding to that. I'm not giving that permission. And while you're doing this, ask the Lord, show me how to do this. Because I don't want to obsess. I don't want to make a template out of this. Because sometimes, sometimes the way, way to deal with it is just to praise God. Completely forget about the enemy and just worship God and focus on God. But I just want you to be people who don't settle for less than what God has for you. And don't, don't settle for less than your family. Do you know, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can be an agent of change. You can bring change to you, to your family, to your neighborhood, to your city, to the nation, to the nations of the world, if you and I will understand the power God gave us when He gave us the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Well, let's pray. If you're t here tonight and you say, I don't want to settle for less. I, I don't want to let myself be bullied anymore. I want to be intolerant of bullying by the enemy. And uh, I don't want to take vengeance out on people, but I want to take vengeance out on the enemy. I want to kick butt and take names, uh, to put it mildly. I really want to, I want to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy in the name of the Lord Jesus. I want to be the wise person who scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they, they trust. So, Father, I'm saying use me tonight. And if you're here tonight and you want that, you say, Lord, use me. Help me to say no to the generational stuff. I, I renounce generational curses in the name of Jesus. Say that to him. Because I am a new creature in Christ. The old has passed away. All things have become new. God has ransomed me from the feudal way of life inherited from my forefathers. If you agree with that, just say Amen. amen. And because Jesus Christ uh, it became a curse for me. He became a curse for me. He redeemed me from the curse of the law. Becoming a curse for me. Therefore, I'm new and I'm free and I'm saying no more. No more. Not in my seed. Not to my offspring. Not to my family. In the name of Jesus. And Father, we're asking you to protect us from injury and harm and evil and the evil one. And we're asking you to help us so that we are, we conduct ourselves wisely. And, and Lord, so that we know how to be under authority. And so that we're not speaking presumptuously in your name. And so that we're not yielding to disobedience. And we don't yield to pride. We, we wrap ourselves with humility. And Lord, we don't want to neglect those disciplines of reading and prayer. Help us tonight, Lord. We want more. May tonight be at least a step uh, in the right direction, Lord. Moving forward, being more of a warrior. Change our temperament if you have to, or just make it to, to be the, the best that it can be. Lord, we give you the praise. And may you always be the one to receive the glory and the honor. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Guys, we're going to get into small groups in a minute and pray through all these things. And what we're going to do is we're going to just we're going to seek the Lord in what areas. Thank you, Kevin. That was good. We just gave that Kevin. What? Now let me just say that I have seen this often in 
very wonderful people, wonderful Christians. Sometimes I've received missionary letters. I felt like they're people that are just letting the devil run over them. And at some point, you just have to say, stop! Just stop! Real hard. And you're, you're not yelling because the Lord needs to hear it, but you're left yelling because you have to rise up inside and say, stop it. We're not to give in to everything. Whatever will be, will not be. And so we resist the devil. We say no to him. And sometimes we have to say it with strength because we get so passive. So I'm saying amen to everything he preached. This was really good. You know, we're going to spend a few minutes just seeking the Lord. Where has the devil been usurping things in your life? Where has he taken ground that he's not supposed to have? Because I, I just feel like there's places in, in people's lives here where you've allowed the devil to run over you and for whatever reason, and we just want to break that off. And I just want to say something. If you're a first-generation Christian, meaning you're the first person in your family who's been a Christian, you need to recognize and understand that you have more to overcome than other people do. That's good. Because you're, what you're doing is you're walking out of generational curses and into generational blessings. My parents were both first-generation Christians. It took a lot of deliverance, a lot of prayer, a lot of reading the Scripture, a lot of declaring Scripture, a lot of service, a lot of seeking the Lord, a lot of fasting, a lot of other things to break off all those generational curses. There wasn't one formula, like Kevin said. It was a combination of things. But I'm telling you that they did that work for me and my brother and my sister. And our lives are so much better off because they did that. And that's what you're doing for you. You're, not, you're, you're, you're making a line for your family. You're bringing blessings into your family line from here on out. And that's what God has for you. The devil wants to kill you and destroy you. The things that happen in your family, if you notice patterns in your family, well, my families are always like this. This always happens in my family. That always happens, negative things. Those are what we call generational curses. Those are the things that God wants to break off. That's why he came to the cross. Those are the kind of things that we want to we break off. Because you guys don't have to put up with that stuff. You don't have to. That's a lie from the enemy. Okay. What we're going to do is we're going to get in. I'm going to pray quick again, and then we're going to get into small groups, two, three, and just seek the Lord. What area? What area do you need to say no to the enemy in? Okay. And then just seek the Lord. If there's any areas that we talked about where you've allowed, maybe given some ground to the enemy, you're not submitted to authority, you've got some pride issues, you've been speaking presumptuously, let's just let the Lord speak to us in that area and then let, just ask forgiveness and ask for grace to change. Okay? So, Father, right now, again, Father, show us right now areas that we have just allowed the devil to run over us. Father, we just speak freedom over this group right now in Jesus' name. Father, I ask for you to just expose, expose the, the enemy right now. Father, that he just may be routed, Father, that we may trample on him in Jesus' name. Father, I just declare freedom over this group. Freedom over this group. God, we just speak generational blessings Amen. to replace every curse Amen. in Jesus' name. We speak healthy relationships, yes. good relationships yeah. with parents, good relationships with siblings, good jobs, good careers, good yes. family, good uh, the ability to go to school, to get good jobs, good careers. Um, Father, we just break off lies of, of alcoholism, of anger in families, of we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, my family doesn't go to college, my family doesn't get good jobs, my family works hard but never makes money, they never, they never seem to get ahead. Father, we break off those, those lies, that my family isn't spiritual, that my family just doesn't connect with God, we're just not real deep with the Lord. We break off those curses Amen. and we just speak that we can be whatever God wants us to be. That we're new creations in Christ. We speak that out right now in Jesus' name.
So get into these small groups, guys, and pray through those things. And if you want to, I know Kevin will be here for maybe a little bit, sure. and he will pray, pray with you guys individually if you have questions or you want to pray. You guys can stay in here. You guys can go in the other rooms. Um, Paul, do you have any, anything else? You, you, you're doing it, man. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead and bring them in groups. Let's go. <laughs> Let it go. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.